invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 67. Um, according to the bulletin, it's found on page 611 in your pew Bibles. Psalm 67. Psalm 67 is entitled to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. And the psalmist pens these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Psalm 67 is believed to be, by scholars to, be, to have been sung by Israel at harvest time. It was a song that celebrated, as we can very easily uh, see, uh, it's a song that celebrated the blessings that the Lord had bestowed upon His people as, his covenant, as their covenant God. As verse 6 says, the earth has yielded her increase. And it was a time when the, the threshers were busy threshing the grain and filling up the barns. Oil was being pressed from the abundant olives, and wine was flowing from the wine presses. It was a time when God's blessings, we might say, was very visible and obvious. But Psalm 67 did not end there with the Israelites. It was a song that actually looked forward to the day when all people would give thanks and praise to the true God. And some scholars refer to this psalm as, as the missionary psalm. It's seen as an anticipation of the universal spread of the knowledge of God to all nations. It looks forward to the day when all peoples would praise God from whom all blessings flow. In this psalm, we see that though Israel saw themselves Indeed, as tremendously and especially blessed, they understood that God's plan was not just for them, but for the, all the nations of the earth, and that they would come to live under His blessings as well. The Israelites, of course, would have known God's promise to Abraham in all the families, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And they saw that through them, through their enjoyment of the rich blessings of God, the nations would then be drawn to praise and worship the true and living God as well. And in the Old Testament, we already see them trickling in, don't we? Gentiles who recognize the superiority, the supremacy of, of Israel's God. And so we hear of people like Rahab and Ruth and Nebuchadnezzar and many others Naaman, the Syrian. But the real ingathering would only begin with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in John 12, 32, when I am lifted up from the earth, speaking, of course, of his crucifixion, he says, will draw all peoples to myself. Note, all peoples. And his great command was that the church now go and make disciples of all nations. 
Revelation 5 speaks of people redeemed by the blood of Christ out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Jesus Christ is the means and the instrument whereby God has set Psalm 67 in motion, and we are His ambassadors. And congregation, may our desire and prayer be that of the inspired psalmist and of Jesus Himself, that the many around us who enjoy the Lord's blessings every day, yet do not know Him, do not acknowledge Him, do not confess Him, that they too would come to know Him, and they would join us in praising Him. Now, Psalm 67 begins with some familiar-sounding words, and we hear it every Sunday, the blessing that Aaron was commanded to pronounce upon the Israelites in number 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face toward you and give you His peace. And the inspired psalmist recalls this blessing as he observes the ripened fields the vines laden with grapes, and the bumper crop of olives. These words come to mind. And there was the recognition that Israel was once again a very blessed nation. Of all the peoples of the earth, they were God's unique and specially loved people. He had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He had smitten their, en- their enemies time and time again anyone that showed hostility to them. He had driven uh, huge armies away from them. He had placed them in a land where they could prosper. Canaan, of course, is called the promised land, the land of milk and honey. And he promised them blessing if they would live in obedience and dependence upon him. We hear this promise, for instance, in Deuteronomy 28, the first six verses. Moses says to Israel, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. And so Israel would live under God's blessings as long as they walked in obedience and dependence upon Him. And we, might, we have to understand how important it was to have that blessing. You see, in that time and culture, there was no, t- no crop insurance. There was no government assistance. There were no food banks that you could go to. If crops failed, death happened. And crops could fail very easily. There were diseases. There could be drought. And if your crops did survive, swarms of locusts could descend and eat everything in sight. Or enemies could swoop in and they could plunder your fields and your flocks. And so in that time and culture, religion was tied very closely to agriculture. Even the pagans recognized that they needed the blessing of uh, of the higher power, shall we say. The, The gods, however they conceived them, had to be appeased. And so the Canaanites, for instance, they worshiped Baal and Asherah, and they had fertility rites which were immoral and abominable temple prostitution and child sacrifice. 
But Israel was very clearly instructed that they were not to follow the practices of the pagan nations. They, would, they lived under the blessing of the true and living God, and they were to constantly know themselves to be living under His blessing, His favor. And so from the, the first ripening of the heads of grain until the fields were harvested, there was great joy in Israel. Even for the poor, this was a time of great celebration because they could follow after the harvesters and they could, of course, glean for themselves. And Israel could sing God's praise because after all was said and done, they understood that the earth had yielded its increase because the Lord, their God, had blessed them, because He had been merciful to them, because He had caused His face to once again shine upon them. But notice in verse 2, though, why Israel was to be blessed. What was the purpose of these blessings that were bestowed upon them? Was it simply so that they could eat and drink in abundance? That they might be prosperous, maybe even more prosperous than all the other nations? Not so, says Psalm 67. The psalmist pleads for God's mercy and blessing so that God's way may be known on the earth, His saving power among all the nations. And so we might say that his thoughts go from from the prosperous fields before his eyes, his thoughts go to the mission fields. White for the harvest, as Jesus would say. His thoughts go to the Lord of the harvest. And, and, And what he says here captures the purpose of God's blessings. He wants all men to know and to love Him and to trust in Him. And His blessings are meant to be evidences of His existence and goodness that men, all men, might might seek Him and come to know Him. The Apostle Paul says something very similar to the people of Lystra in Acts 14, verse 17. He says to them that God did not leave Himself without witness in that He did good, giving us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. That's how the Lord gives witness of Himself, by His blessings upon our crops and our lives. In Acts 17, Paul tells the Athenians that God, and here he's a little bit more explicit, he tells the Athenians that God gives to all life, breath, and all things so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our very being. And why should all men seek God? Because he alone holds salvation in his hands. When the psalmist speaks of God's way, that your way may be known to all nations, he means the methods of God and that is the, the process by which he is restoring men unto himself. And so the nations may have had their, their pagan rituals by which they thought that they had a relationship with the supreme powers, or they were appeasing the pagan gods, or they received blessings from them. But it really was the true and living God alone who caused his son to shine and sends rain upon the righteous and the unrighteous. And his desire is that all men would come to recognize this, to know him, and to be reconciled to him. And in the Old Testament was, of course, through the blood sacrifices at the altars performed by Israel's priests and high priest, but this was all pointing forward to the great high priest to come 
who would lay down his life on the cross as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus even spoke of himself this way, didn't he? he? He calls himself the way. I am the way and the truth and the life, right? He is the path that we must follow to the Father. We cannot get to the Father except through Jesus. In Acts 4 verse 12, we hear that there is salvation in no other For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we might be saved. And so Psalm 67 is being fulfilled today when those who are still outside observe the blessings of God's people and they begin to desire these blessings and they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, right away we can see how that puts obligations upon us as God's people. We have the responsibility of, of putting on display, we might say, God's blessings. Not to show how great we are, but how great is our God, right? We, we uh, let our light so shine before men that they glorify, they see our good deeds and they glorify our Father in heaven. Jesus called us the light of the world, the salt of the earth. In Colossians 4 verse 5, Paul commands us to walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Listen as well to what Peter writes in 1 Peter 2, verses 11 to 12. He says, Beloved, and he's speaking to us, the New Testament church, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. And then he goes on to tell us how we are to conduct ourselves honorably in order to bring glory to God. We are to obey, for instance, the authorities that God has placed over us. That means, practically speaking, that Christians, more than anyone else on this earth, are called to be law-abiding, order-maintaining, citizens of our communities. It means that we are to be characterized more than anyone else by our joy, by our thankfulness, by our thankful living. And so uh, never should it be that we are described as uh, grouchy, irritable. You know, to be, to be known as angry people is not for us. Complaining, disunity, discontent, covetousness, greed. These are the opposite, of course, of being lights in this world that lead people to our God. Instead, we are to carry ourselves about in this world with dignity. We are to be honoring all men. We are to be living peaceable lives, Peter says, respecting what others have and even being thankful for what others have instead of being jealous. Honesty and integrity are to describe us as business people. Why? Because we see ourselves as living under the blessing of God. And all the blessings that we receive are meant to give glory to His name. Our marriages should be, how should we say it, startling to the eyes of those who do not know Jesus. They should look at us as married couples and say, wow, how they love each other, how they care for each other, what interest they have in each other, how they speak to each other with such tenderness. Boy, I wish I had that. In a culture that quite often views children as an an inconvenient expense, Uh, gender as a choice, 
marriage as an outdated institution, and wealth and title as the thing that defines you as a human being. In, in such a culture, we as God's people are to display our joy in parenthood, our thankfulness for our spouses, the honor and, and privilege that we find in, in being made male or female, and we are to display that our job, our business, our wealth are simply using God's gifts for God's glory. And boys and girls, this even applies to you. I mean, your calling at this point is to be in school. And how you apply yourself shows that you, you believe this, that you love the Lord, that you know that you are His child. And so are we trying our best? Are we praying to do better so that others may see our blessings and want to know Jesus too? How about our behavior in school or on the bus? Do, do we show others that we love Jesus and we live for Him? Do we include people? Do we play with everyone or do we shut some out? Well, Psalm 67 calls us to show the love of Christ to all, to be calling others to Jesus by our behavior. And for all of us, we're to be telling others about Jesus and praying for our neighbors and for opportunities to share the gospel with, with those we come into contact with. Absolutely, we must be living lives that bring praise to God, but we must also speak of Jesus. We are to be always ready, as Peter says, to give a defense to everyone who asks us a reason for the hope that is in us with meekness and fear. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we always ready? Or if we do find ourselves in a, in a situation where we are called upon to defend the gospel, defend Christianity, will we at that time just say, well, I know what I know, and you know what you know, and let's just part uh, and leave it like that. Uh, let's agree to disagree and walk away. That's not Psalm 67 behavior, and that's not a Psalm 67 attitude. Listen to how the psalmist describes it in verse 3 to 5. He said, let, all, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And here the psalmist raises a wish, a desire, that all men might praise the true and living God. It's not enough that I have salvation, that I have a relationship with the true and living God. Our wish is that all men would also praise God. Now, ESVs rightly translate the Hebrew peoples, not people. It's not pointing to one particular people. The psalmist is pleading that all the peoples, men and women and children from every nation and tribe and language, that they would all praise God. We might think of the words of Jesus when he spoke of the servants of the king going out to the highways and byways and, and calling people in indiscriminately. He spoke of scattering the seed of the gospel promiscuously, widely. He commanded the apostles preach the gospel in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That is God's desire that peoples of every culture and religion and philosophy would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if that is God's desire, beloved, it must be our desire as well. The psalmist speaks of the nations being glad and singing for joy. To be quite frank, those who do not know God do not know what they're missing. They don't realize that what they find gladness in, what they find fulfillment in, what they find joy in, really do not give what they promise. The joys that they might afford are very temporary. They never provide any kind of lasting satisfaction. People chase after food and drugs and alcohol. Uh, It's consumed today and yet regretted tomorrow. And the toys that the advertisers tell us that uh, we need only end up miring us in debt, and the thrill is gone very quickly, and the restlessness with which we are all born remains. And so our prayer as God's people must be that through our witness and by the power of the Holy Spirit, many, many more will come to find gladness and joy in the Lord and not in the things of this world, that they would see that only God can judge the people with equity, that is, righteously, and He can guide the nations on earth. Earthly governors and political leaders will always be biased. They will favor one group over another. Their desire is to get votes or to get voted back in, not fairness. Right and wrong are determined by what the people want or what they are already doing. So we might just pass a law that goes along with everything. So can we say of earthly rulers and governors that they judge righteously? Of course not. Only God judges righteously. Only He can provide for the needs of all with fairness and equity. And so only He is deserving of the praise, not only of us, but of all the nations on earth. Congregation, of course, We arrived in town yesterday to witness the blessed rains that the Lord blessed you with, and uh, we were able to see the greening of uh, the the lands around us, how the crops are growing, promise of a a good harvest. And it's a time, it is indeed a time of great joy for our farmers, but as we observe our crops bursting out of the ground, as we delight in their growth, as we anticipate a bountiful harvest, let these things remind us of the greater and more important in gathering, that is, of the nations and the peoples who still do not know God. The Lord God who causes the earth to yield its increase is bringing about an abundant salvation of souls. And this applies to all of us, whatever our vocation Our success and prosperity are not merely to be enjoyed for its own sake. They are a call to the nations to come to God, to seek shelter under His wings, to enjoy real peace and joy, the kind that living in a restored relationship with God brings, as nothing else can. And so as we pray for blessings upon our work, let us also pray for the greater harvest of peoples praising God 
to the ends of the earth and let us live our lives as faithful witnesses in our own mission field, wherever that may be, so that more and more would come to praise our God for his goodness, his mercy, his salvation. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Psalm 67. We thank you for its uh, future outlook, uh, looking toward the day when Many outside of Israel would come to know you and believe in you, and looking even further to the day when uh, all the nations, all the peoples and tribes and tongues would acknowledge that you and you alone are God. We thank you that you are so merciful and compassionate, and that it is your desire that men turn from sin and live. And we pray that your church may indeed strive to be that salt and light and leaven that we are called to be, and that we as individuals would be praying for and using every opportunity to impress upon others whom we come into contact with the goodness of our God, the blessings of living under the shelter of His wings and in His love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.